This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. Firstly, am so excited and humbled to connect with you and to learn more about your story, bro. You have such an interesting and diverse set of experiences. I would love to just have kind of like a high-level overview, if you wouldn't mind, on that journey from the from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. You've kind of been through it all. Yeah, for sure. And so, first of all, thank you. Thank you for giving my story some light and for having these types of conversations because it's it's extremely important. So yeah, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a background on me and where I come from so that the listener has some context. But so I come from a very entrepreneurial family. I've always had that bone in my body. My father is a builder and he was never great in school, started uh, you know banging nails at 18 and ultimately had built a real estate development company, building custom homes, all kinds of you know, successful endeavors in the real estate world. And so I, I, I grew up in the, in the shadow of that man, right? And, and always was fascinated by what he did. And I was lucky enough that I had him mentor me. At a very early age, we would spend a lot of time together. He would teach me, you know, the economics of real estate investing and acquisitions and stuff like that. So I was blessed in that regard. Other family members had restaurants and, um, you know, other small businesses. And so I grew up in that world and I, I was fascinated by these conversations. And, you know, I wouldn't sit at the kids' table at Christmas. I'd be sitting at the adults' table listening to them talk about their businesses or complaining or whatever it was. And I always wondered, like, why why aren't you guys doing this? Why aren't you doing this acquisition? Why aren't you franchising? Why aren't you expanding? And they'd be like, Brandon, you're you're 13 years old. Like, shut up, right? Like, what do you know? What do you what do you know? And so I was I kind of grew up with that chip on my shoulder. Like, okay, well, you know what? Maybe I am young, but I'm gonna figure this out. And so I decided I wanted to go into private equity. And I was I was good in school when I wanted to be good in school, but I usually just use school to like take naps and then I would, you know, get B's and it would be fine. Right. And so anyway, I went off to college, uh, studied economics, eventually got into like management consulting, M&A advisory work, biotech and pharma specifically. Then I got into private equity. I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't have a 4.0 GPA. I battled my way into this world that I always dreamed that I would end up in. I wanted to learn how to build big businesses. And this was how I thought you did it. And so I finally made it. I, I landed my dream opportunity, if you will. And I had the, the wonderful opportunity and blessing to be able to work for a, you know, a guy who's now a, you know, running a multi-billion dollar fund, but I worked directly under him. And so at 24 years old, there's no better place to learn you know, extremely high level business, right? You know, you're, we're working on companies that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars and, and all the way down to you know, pre-revenue venture stuff too. So seen a lot of interesting things. And during that time, I was recruited by a couple of gentlemen out of the healthcare services space, specifically substance abuse treatment. And that re- resonated with me because my sister is somebody who has struggled with substance abuse for a long time. I come from a part of the world. I think we all do at this point where it's very rampant. I grew up with friends in high school overdosing and dying. And so I was wondering in the back of my head, why doesn't anybody do anything about this? And so they offered me an opportunity. They called me, I'm still working in private equity. And they said, Brandon, you're a young, talented, energetic guy. We want to go off and kind of do our own thing. We have this grand vision and we want you to be a part of it, but you have to help us raise 3 million bucks. And so I was 26 when I got this phone call. And so I said, okay, 
all right, well, I think I can do that. And so what we did is we went out, we raised roughly 3 million bucks, built a business. And before you knew it, about a year and a half, two years later, this business had grown far larger than any of us really ever expected. I mean, we're talking hyper, hyper growth. That transaction, uh, we actually sold that business in the end of 2017. I was 29. That business was sold for uh, just under $67 million valuation. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm a smart guy, right? I, I figured this business thing out at a young age. And I was so arrogant and uh, I, just, a, just an insecure person. I always felt like I had to prove myself. And I proved myself through my financial success. I proved myself through my reputation as a smart, capable, uh, business-savvy person. And so I placed all of my identity in those things, right? And so I went on and um, you know, we had the exit. I continued. I, I started a real estate development company called Captiva Capital Partners with a couple other guys. We developed about, call it $40 million in post-developed value uh, in our first year. We were well on our way to $100 million in real estate. And then one day, uh, I get a phone call from my lawyer and he says, Brandon, um, you know, I've got some terrible news. I knew there was an active investigation going on with the healthcare company that uh, we had sold. It had started up and it was kind of like nothing, right? That's how these things go. They start up, big flurry of activity, documents go back and forth, subpoenas start flying, and then nothing. Anyway, I get the phone call from the lawyer and he says, Brandon, I've got some terrible news. The government has made a decision. They've decided they're going to move forward with the case and that they want to make an example out of this case. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that means that you are on the list of call it 11 or 12 people. I can't remember exactly how many uh, people who are going to be indicted. And when you are someone who has never been in any trouble, I've never had any interactions with law enforcement. I've never been in jail. I've never been in handcuffs like nothing. I mean, I was petrified. One, yeah. what does that mean? What does indictment mean? There had, this has to be a mistake, right? And two, in that moment, my whole identity crumbled. Yeah. I believe that I was this law-abiding, you know, positive, constructive, trustworthy, transparent, reputable member of society. And in that moment, that label was changed. But that was because I had placed all of my self-worth on those things that were outside of my control. On the ego identity. Uh, exactly. On my identity and my ego and, and who I believed that I had constructed that person. Mm -hmm. But... So what happened was, is I immediately resigned from all of my ventures. So the real side, I gave all that equity to those guys. I immediately resigned, uh, lost the equity that we carried over in our healthcare business uh, that crumbled from all the bad press. I had multiple other ventures that I had that all fell apart. So I went from this guy doing like multi-million, you know, eight figure deals to somebody sitting on his couch, wondering what the hell's going to happen with his life at 31 years old. What was the official charge or charges? So the way that, not to get into too much detail, but it, it yeah. originally started out as a state case. Um, okay. And so what the state did is they like, they hit you with like 10 different things. And I can't remember all of them, but it was like, they threw the book at us. Like there was a whole slew of them. Those charges were dismissed in exchange for uh, one count of conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud okay. uh, in at the federal level. So that was essentially the deal that I ended up taking was to look, okay, you know, if you go to trial and you lose, you could be facing, the dollars are huge. Uh, you could be facing like, you know, a decade here. And I could not, when I, when we ultimately made that decision, I could not look my wife in the eye and say, hey, I need you to stand by me through this. I just couldn't do it, right? I, I said, look, we can, if I get 37 months, which is ultimately what happened, I, you know, maybe I'll do about a year, 18 months with good time and all the programs, we can, we can get through that, right? Like we can battle our way through that. And that was my priority was getting back to like what mattered most, which was my wife mm. and my relationship. And so that was the decision that I made.
going back to to one of the first things that you alluded to and that we were chatting on before we hit record we all have such different stories in the tapestry of experience that you just laid out is incredible i'm thinking back to the beginning like you mentioned before all of this you didn't necessarily feel like you were confident on the inside in the way that you maybe wanted to project outwardly what do you think caused that so this is a really important topic particularly for what i'll i consider the young high achiever and so this is like part of the reason i do what i do and the reason behind it is a good question it's you know the good good times create weak men philosophy right i grew up in good times i never wanted for anything i never really faced any serious adversity in my life outside of you know the stress of having a, a sibling who battled deeply with substance abuse that was really the thing that you know, kind of created some adversity, but I had never personally been subjected to any level of adversity. I had never yeah, had either. those um, those defining moments. I'd never had those rites of passage that I think yeah. like some of our parents and grandparents have faced in that struggle, right? Of having yeah. to create something from nothing. And yeah. so I think that created a weak man. I think I also, I had this chip on my shoulder, but I also somehow for some reason didn't have the confidence and the strength to go out and really prove it at an early age and what i mean by that is i i've always been a good entrepreneur but i decided to go to college i decided to productively procrastinate i decided to go get a job i decided to pursue pedigree right the the perception of success through all of these fancy titles and all the fancy work but really i was just somebody with a job trading my time mm -hmm. right and so i always lacked that confidence to go out there on my own and I firmly believe that that inability to step up when I needed to most was the reason that I ended up in that situation because I did not do what had to be done because I was too afraid to step up. I trusted blindly. I listened to everything these guys said and I ended up in a bad situation that I, I myself created and I have taken full accountability for. Right. And so, you know, what I tell young people is before you venture into a situation where you have a C-suite title, right? I was, I was the chief financial officer and, and we all know how these things go. Everybody, everybody, the government always looks to the CFO. And so I put myself in that situation without having the confidence, without having the solid foundation and discipline that I have today and the sense of character that I have today. And what ultimately happened was, is I was sort of along for the ride because I put myself in that situation because I did not build the confidence. I did not build the foundation that had to be built in order for me to be able to handle that level of work and the responsibility that goes along with it. Right. When you have, a, it doesn't matter if you, you weren't a hundred percent involved in something. When you were a, a C-suite executive, you are responsible for everything that happens in your organization. Right, right, right. And I did not fully appreciate that, nor was I fully prepared for it. What were two things that you learned that you didn't know before with respect to that contrast at being at rock bottom, but then also looking back to having it all? What were two things on either of those sides that, that you learned? So the interesting contrast is I was the weakest person when I was the richest and I was the strongest person when I was the poorest. And so I would regularly self-medicate with alcohol. I had half a million dollars in cars in the garage. I had the penthouse. I had all this stuff. I was battling anxiety. Uh, I would wake up late on the weekends. I was so embarrassed one time because I was so hungover. I literally could not move and I could not go visit with my parents and I had to call them. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed. That's how bad it was. And I was just like, I can't come visit with you because I'm so hungover. I, that makes me feel awful to this day because I was that person. 
And so the world saw this success when, when, you know, these, I had a, a friend in private equity, he was a much older guy and um, we worked together and he would literally introduce me as, you know, Brandon, the, you know, the boy wonder of private equity, he's a future billionaire. That was how I was being introduced. And that meant so much to me, but I was such a tiny little person in reality. Right. And then when I walked into prison for the first time and it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then I ended up in a low instead of a camp, which is where most white collar guys go. Camps don't have fences. You can like leave to go to work. It's, it's, I won't say it's cushy because it's prison and it's hard, but um, it's much easier. I ended up at a low, which has double razor wire fence, uh, five minute moves, meaning you can't move around freely. Like it's much more structure. And what ended up happening is I went in during COVID. I went in in uh, July 21st, 2020 is when I surrendered. I surrendered to FCI Danbury in Connecticut. And immediately they put me in quarantine. Now in prison, what quarantine means is solitary confinement. And so I didn't know really how long I was going to be there, but I found out that it ended up being somewhere between three days and 30 days. It turned out to be 22 days. So for 22 straight days, I lived in a room, you know, basically the size of your bathroom, probably smaller. Uh, and in that moment is when I realized that I had more strength than I ever knew. Right. Right. So those are the two things. That's the contrast that I learned was up here does not define us nor does being down here when we're locked in that cell in the lowest lowest point of our lives right we are defined by the character that we choose to be that person that we choose to be every single day and that character did not come out in me until i reached that deep moment of, of darkness what was your mindset in going from being at the top top of the top to such a drastic shift in circumstances and when you found yourself sitting there for those 22 days inside of a box yep. how did your mindset have to grow or expand in order to adapt to such a different type of situation so i think it's a bob marley quote but it's like you know you you get to a point where you have nothing left but strength right and so the, the interesting thing is you, you get to a point where you have this choice. You mm -hmm. can, you know, kill yourself. That's where you get to. Like, that's how that's yeah. the level we're talking about right now. Yeah. Or you can decide to be strong. And the interesting and sad thing is when I was on my way out, I did a second, a third, actually it was my third round of quarantine. The guy in the cell next to me made that, made one of those choices. He attempted mm -hmm. to commit suicide. And so when I was in that moment, when I, I first entered that, I mean, I was so scared, I was shaking, right? I, I knew there was a chance that it might happen, but when they lock that door and it's such a, like, there's such a finality to that lock when they hit, when the deadbolt hits and you know, there's nothing you can do to get out of that room. Yes. I went into prison claustrophobic. I could barely go on airplanes. I could, couldn't go on trains. I couldn't be in an elevator because I was such a little bitch, right? Like, I had to choose to master my mindset in that moment. And mm -hmm. what did I do? I immediately started physical exercise. And so before the show, you were talking about going to the gym and like how important that is. That is, that is like a foundational item for anybody that's going through anything in life. When I, when I was in that moment, I would, if I felt myself kind of going in that wrong direction, when that like inner bitch would kind of creep up and I'd wonder, I would start to doubt myself. Can I get through this? Am I going to survive here? 
Mm-hmm. I would just drop to the floor. I would do burpees. I would do push-ups. I would do air squats. I would walk back and forth in my cell. Just try to get like my my mind elevated a little bit, and that yeah. like that works. I use that today. So if I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling you know in a negative way, I go out and I exercise. I just stop what I'm doing and I just get out and I move my body. And that really taught me that you know what I can control this. This is all in here. This is a game. And there are plenty of people who are in far worse situations than I'm in. I mean, think of, you know, guys like Mandela. I think he was in prison for like 27 years or something like that, right? In horrible, horrible circumstances, right? I was in the, the, the Ritz-Carlton compared to what that guy was going through. And so I would start to think about these mentors, both living and dead, right? People that I've known who've been through more difficult situations. And I would think, well, what would these people do to battle through this situation? And so part of it is, you know, finding the strength in yourself, but I think there's value in finding the strength in others and then using that to inspire you to, to get up and do what you need to do. So that was all, that was how I switched my mindset right there. It was actually very simple, just like most things in life, right? It's not that complicated. You just have to make the right choice. And for me, something that I've observed in going through life altering change. And there's one specific event that I'm thinking of. For me, it was a relationship that fundamentally changed who I am and how I relate to the world. And when I look back at the person I was prior to this relationship now, it almost feels like a dream. And I know that it happened and that I used to be this other version of self, but it almost doesn't seem real in the sense of I don't feel or speak or think in the way that I did prior to this incredible catalyst. And so my last question for you is looking back at that version of self to who you are now, how have you grown since going through that? Uh, Truthfully, I'm, I'm a thousand times the man I was before. And it was because of this situation. When people ask me about this and they so they say, oh, Brandon, I'm so sorry you went through. I say, don't be sorry. I'm so grateful that this happened to me. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Then marrying my wife. And I say it in that order because I some I got lucky. Like I landed this incredible woman, but she saw the thing in me that I didn't see until all of this happened. And so when I woke up and I was like, I have to be this man. I have to be this man for her. And so every single day, that is what I do. I get up and I commit to my process. And mm. you know, I think we, we default to our systems, right? Because our bad, it's easy for our bad habits to creep back in if we're not structured. At least I know that for me. Yeah. And so I have a very, very strict system and I stick to that system and I do it with my bigger why. And my bigger why is to be the best man I can for her, but also to like walk the walk, right? I am, I am preaching a, a, a lifestyle and a mentality that is about finding the strength in yourself and choosing adversity and channeling that energy towards the good. And if I'm going to preach that, I have to walk that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I do every single day of my life. And I think that that situation is what has given me the power to be able to share that, to share that journey with the world. Brendan, thank you for this beautiful expose into, into this, yeah. this little slice of life that I think a lot of people will relate to probably haven't been through anything quite like but can definitely learn from and so many golden nuggets in here so thank you bro um where can people go to connect with you and learn learn more about what you're working on now yeah i'm just directing everybody to my instagram i'm trying to kind of build the brand on on there and it's at white collar savage
That's it for this episode. Really appreciate you tapping in. FYI, my new book, Content Capitalist, is launching end of March. I'm super excited to put this out into the world. I've been heads down the past six months writing and refining the book. If you'd like to register for updates and be added to my VIP waitlist, go to michaelbecker.org backslash content capitalist book. Can't wait to share what I've been cooking up with you guys. See you in the next episode.